do think social media has contributed a little bit to the resounding echo we're hearing of ask for more, you should expect more, and if you don't, you should just walk away. Welcome back to That Vet Life. Tell me if you've heard this phrase before. These new vets just don't want to work as hard. This is the headline of an ongoing discussion within the vet profession and is most prominently displayed on social media. Depending on which generation of vets you talk to, you may receive answers from either extreme of the spectrum. So what's the answer? To break this down, I talked with my friend, Dr. Tanasia Crocker, about where this mindset came from, what it really means, and where we go from here. The answer just might surprise you. As a veterinarian, mother, mentor, leader, and all-around inspiration, Tanasia is proof that the future of the veterinary profession is bright. I was encouraged and challenged in the best way after talking with Tanasia on this subject. So let's jump into today's episode. I mean, quite frankly, this is the first episode I've recorded in person. Oh, nice. In, I want to say like a year and a half probably of being in person. Because you used to do it in your vet school room with your... Yeah roommate and that was in person yeah that was in person but then graduating and going into the pandemic like Uh everything had to be virtual so all of the previous episodes that everyone's heard from this series have been virtual even the ones from last season before the transition those were all virtual and now I have a real life human sitting in front of me like I could literally reach out and touch you and give you a high five and that's weird to a degree way more fun in person because then you can read body language and I think the excitement is a little bit more than even mm-hmm. virtually. So yeah, you can read each other so much better. And it just flows a lot better. Because I feel like if you have like a glitch on that would be the problem is like you have a glitch and like staring at the computer screen being like, I hope I'm following what yeah. they're saying, because I can't hear <laughs> yeah. it. I can't see them. And then suddenly they pop back up and they're still talking. And you're like, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, yes, totally following that. Totally <laughs> that following sounds great. That. that sounds great. <laughs> but the other awesome bit about being in person is that we're back in conferences. Like we're back actually networking, getting to see where the profession's going and how we can best impact it. So here we're at the Veterinary Leadership Conference and we just got done making reels together. Yes, we just got done making reels together. So those will be out on Instagram before this episode hits the airwaves. So the other part of being at conferences and making reels and networking is that we start having these conversations that are really real Mm -hmm. and we're looking at the questions that are going around in the profession that maybe they're not going to hit the upper level of the governance panels, but they impact us on a day-to-day basis. And so when we're in these smaller groups, we're able to like look at each other and say, have you been encountering these questions? And one of the big ones that came up at dinner last night was the disparity between the older generations and the younger generations. And how there seems to be this question mark um, from the older generations to be like, the young kids, they don't really want to work. They just want to have a big pay and work short hours. And you brought up a really good point on that. But like, where did all that kind of come from, from your standpoint? So for me, because I visit veterinary schools and I talk to vet students all the time, I have a a pretty good handle, I feel like, on their expectations when they get out of school regarding what they want to be paid and really, you know, as they put it, the work-life balance, which we know doesn't really exist in balance, but you try to find things that you really enjoy and keep yourself sane while you're doing this crazy job and the job that we love being a veterinarian. And some of the salaries that they throw out and some of the hours they throw out to me are a little unrealistic. And I want to be supportive of 
what they think they need and they want, but having been out, you know, 12 years and being familiar with a lot of different practices, I do think financially it's hard for practices to pay that sometimes and have them work, you know, 30 hours, 32 hours. Um, And so I think that there has to be a lot of transparency from the practices, kind of like we talked about last night, in talking about the numbers and talking about revenue and talking and empowering them to increase their skill set and become more efficient so that, you know, they can get those bigger salaries. But sometimes coming straight out of school, the expectation of I'm going to make $100,000 and work 30 hours a week, I do think is unrealistic. And I hate to say that, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm not supportive of students and them feeling they are valuable because they are, and everyone needs veterinarians right now. But since I am of the older generation, I think that it would be wrong for me to support and promote that without kind of bringing a real spin to it. Does that make sense? No, no, that makes total sense. And as you're talking, I'm like, okay, is this because we're not talking to veterinary students about what their going rate is as a graduate? Is that because like we've swung too far to one end and we're like, you can get as much money as you want if you just ask for it and go to the right clinic. Like, why is that happening that they're now, like, why is my generation graduating and thinking that they can get the big bucks? Is that because of a conversation that's not happening? Like what's going on there? Well, I think that salaries really vary based on location, but you also have a lot of people who maybe are more vocal and people are more aware of that are making larger salaries you know, upon graduation and they're sharing that with others, which I think that, again, transparency on what people are making is important. But you do have to realize it's very location dependent and it's uh, dependent on what type of practice you go into. So when you're constantly hearing people need veterinarians, make sure you advocate for yourself, make sure you, you know, ask for a strong salary. I do support that. But to me, the package as a whole is more important than just the salary number. And I think also realizing that if a practice says to you, we really do want you here, we want to help you grow, but we can only pay you $85,000, they are not trying to undervalue you as a veterinarian. They are going to lose money on you initially as a new grad. That's the reality of it. It's going to take more work and time to grow your skill set and to make you more profitable in their eyes. And so it's a give and take. I do think social media has contributed a little bit to the resounding echo we're hearing of ask for more, you should expect more. And if you don't, you should just walk away and they don't value you. I just think that's a little too black and white when you look at the situation. That honestly puts it in a new light. And like, I know for you and I, we both like to talk about the the benefits and the positivity that happens with social media, but there is kind of like a dark horse that, that comes in, partly because we have a very niche group of people on there that are a very similar age, similar background, at least in the Vetstagram community. And so in that sense, it can funnel the kind of thoughts that are coming out. And then if that's all you're hearing, you don't really know any different. So I think it is really important for vet students to hear what you've just said and say that just because a clinic can't pay you the 100K doesn't mean that they're not a valuable clinic and that you have a lot of value there too. So I think part of that conversation when you go to a clinic can be like, what are the non-monetary things that they can technically be giving you that you're not going to see in your paycheck? And I think another really important point is 
I honestly don't care what you're going to get paid right out of school. What are you able to do in the next five years there, the next 10 years there? Because I see a lot of people get offered a large amount up front, but then their pay is stagnant for many years in that practice. And I, as a veterinarian, have worked and I was an intern. I made 30000 I was an equine vet. I made $60,000. That was my salary for my very first job. I now make six figures and not $100,000, but dramatically more. And so I think there's a realization that you want to know more what type of financial growth you can have in a practice versus just what that initial first number is. And then, like you said, CE compensation, licensing, uh, health insurance, uh, liability insurance, all of that adds up. Paid vacation. I think all of that is really, really important to look at too and to take the whole package in consideration. But I would be asking, that's great. That's a great starting number. What is my upside in this position? What do your vets make after five years, 10 years in this practice? Those are really good questions. And I like how you added in there to basically have that sit down, mm-hmm. which I feel like it like it comes back to that so often where you have a new grad and they're like, what should I do? And I'm looking for a practice. It's like, well, yes, advocate for yourself, but really look into the nitty gritty of the kind of questions that you're asking. So not just be like, this is my base that I want to have, but what are the other things that you're going to offer? So talk about CE, talk about PTO, talk about all your dues that are going to have to happen. Talk about the type of mentorship that you're going to have. And all of these things will add up, like you said, like, easily all of like the CE, the dues, that's easily what, like $10,000 right there? Yes. Yeah. So think about whatever your base is, subtract 10 from it. (laughs) And that's what your real base should be. Maybe. I don't know. I do think paid vacation is another really important thing. And people don't really think about that. But every time I renegotiated a contract, I did usually renegotiate and have a production increase, but I also added paid vacation days. And that was a really nice way to add a salary basically to myself and get a little more time off. And so there's so many little things when you look at it that you need to think about. But the big thing that I want to make sure people understand is because a practice can't pay you what you think your number is right off the bat does not mean that they don't think or see you as worth something and that they're not willing to invest in you. It's just not going to be the initial amount up front that you think. And I would also caution that if you have a practice that has had a lot of new grads go through it very quickly, they are offering a large amount of money and signing bonuses and nobody is staying there more than one or two years. Red flag. Yep. Big red flag. And so another great question to ask, When's the last time you had a new grad? Why are you hiring? Are you filling a position? Are you adding a vet because you're growing as a practice? Those things are really going to make a difference in what you're going to make compensation-wise in the future. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VetX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VetEx community. The Thrive community is a race accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. 
Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. I feel like this touches on so many different aspects of the whole money question for the new grads because a lot of them, they just don't know what the going rate is. Mm -hmm. And so, again, ask questions like talk to people who are your friends who are out in practice to be like, hey, what should I be asking for this area for this type of medicine? Get an idea so that when you go in and you have to put that number on the table, you have a good idea and you can back up why you think you're worth that because it really is important for you to understand why you think that number is is what you're worth because the practice is going to ask you they're like all right what can you provide to us mm-hmm. and you have to be able to back it but the flip side i feel is of this conversation is also looking at the question mark of why we have all these new grads that they don't necessarily want to work the 60 hour weeks Mm -hmm. anymore and so you have a lot of older generations that are kind of groaning being like well i did it why aren't you doing it and i feel like it's a two-part question in that like yes there's a whole aspect of just because you suffer doesn't mean I have to suffer Mm -hmm. type of thing but actually one of our friends who's from the older generation brought up a really good point yesterday and I was so excited that he said it but it was basically yes you have a number of this younger generation that they don't want to be in the clinic Mm -hmm. so in the clinic for those 60 hours part of that is because they got side hustles going on. Mm -hmm. So I know like you had some side hustles. I have the side hustle that we're doing right now. And all of those hours do add up to that 60 plus hour week. We're just not spending it all in the clinic. Is that something that you've seen with a good number of uh, students? I have. I think that that is definitely contributing. But I also think that it's okay to only want to work 30 hours a week. If physically and mentally, that's what you think you can handle. It's just... Some of us, and I am one of those, I used to work 60 hours when I did equine and I loved it. Just like Dr. Marshall talked about, he went in on his day off to do a surgery because if he hadn't, the pet would have had to wait a month. I am a similar personality. If I'm able to, and it's, and I'm okay, you know, mentally and I'm okay emotionally, and I want to put in that extra time, it actually fills me up and I love it and I enjoy it. I think that you have maybe younger veterinarians that the things they love are not rooted in veterinary medicine exactly. And so they have a lot of other things that they want to be able to do. I see so many that do a lot of outdoorsy things and they want a lot of time off for that. I mean, I appreciate that. I'm not a big camper myself, but (laughs) (laughs) I think the side hustle can be a part of it. But I really just think that the boundary setting is what they're trying to do, right? They're just trying to say that them working extra hours in the clinic, working over lunch, doing things on their day off, it doesn't fit with what they need for their mental health and their wellness. And I respect that and I understand that. It is still hard for me to tell patients in need that I can't help them. And that's, I think the older generation, I see less of I struggled, you should struggle too. I see more of, I want to help the pets and the patients. And sometimes that means that your day is not going to be structured exactly like you want it to be. And the hours might go a little long, but we're okay with that. So we do it. The thing is you have to make sure your team is okay with it too. And your other veterinarians are too. And if they're not, we have to respect that boundary. 
So there's multiple levels of boundaries in there, but it all does boil down to can you define your boundaries Mm -hmm. and can you actually advocate for those boundaries? Mm -hmm. Because I know the older generation, like they had certain boundaries, but their focus was just so much more on clinical practice than it is for even my generation. Like I love veterinary medicine. I will go in on my day off for certain things. But again, part of that is like I do have some boundaries, but I'll be honest, I'm not great about enforcing them all the time. I've actually had a couple nurses be like, why are you still here? Mm -hmm. You need to go home. You've been spending too many hours at the clinic. And I appreciated that because I was like, oh, crap, someone else is looking out for me. Other than <laughs> so yeah. what am I going to do yeah. with that? But we talked about it swung yeah. a little far. Yes. It may be in some circumstances where the boundary is so strict that there's no it's harmful. Yes. Yeah. Flexibility and there's no ability to like adapt. And so I think we need to swing back a little bit to find that happy medium between having no boundaries and doing everything and then having all the boundaries and not being willing to fit things in sometimes and too black and white yes yeah because then it, it is harmful to you and into the one aspect because you know for both you and for me we actually get filled mm-hmm. by going in on those days off where we do have the mental capacity we do have the physical capacity and our staff is capable of, of handling it as well to be able to come in on a day off and take care of a pet like that is that's good for us mm-hmm. but where was I going with this <laughs> I had like 500 different thoughts came into my brain all at once on the same topic. (laughs) Not everyone has that ability. Yeah, not everybody will get as fulfilled by it. So I feel like it has swung too far to one end where it is too black and white. It is a little bit harmful because there will say, oh, the schedule is completely full. Oh, I can't take anything else. Like it is what it is. But in actual fact, like if you have to turn away that other patient, even though you could possibly see it, that might actually hurt you and might hurt your team and hurt the pet uh, well, by doing and, that. And we did talk uh, last night at dinner, which again, great conversation, loved it, about appropriately scheduling. So if you have those sick patients last minute, actually fitting them in. And some people at the table shared that they are supposed to have that happen in their practice, but instead everything gets filled up you know, a week in advance, and then they're still asked to fit in the sick patients on that day. And so I think that... We still have a lot of growing to do. We have a lot of learning to do in veterinary medicine. And I feel like the big take-home message from what we talked about is we can learn from each other and what works for you might not work for me and what works for me might not work for you. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But you have to have the conversations and you have to be open about it and you have to be open to the fact that the way you think is not the only way for anything to change and for more of us to stay in this profession and be happy and fulfilled, we got to look at each other and walk a little bit in each other's shoes and have a little more understanding of where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. I think the question that I had after all of that was, so we have gone too far to one side. What do you think that we can be doing as individuals within our practice to help us swing back a little bit more to a midline, which I feel as with most topics, like everything that is going on in the world, we start one side mm-hmm. and then we swing to the other and then we eventually swing back kind of too far to the other mm-hmm. way and then back and forth and back and forth until it settles in the middle. But the question is, how do we get there? How do we actually start to swing back the other way? And I know you mentioned actually having those conversations, but how should we be broaching those conversations? What should we be looking for as a goal to tell us that we are switching back? I think that overall as a a team, and it's not even just the veterinarians, right? As a team in the practice, there needs to be a strong sense of 
your core values, of your culture, of your priorities, of your, you know, firm do's and don'ts. And then the gray areas, you need to kind of suss out what each person feels about that and then make appropriate boundaries so that everyone is comfortable, right? And so if you know that Dr. Mariah really needs her lunch break, then as a receptionist, you are going to say, no, she's not available, she can't talk on the phone, and you're going to help her have that boundary in place and have that that wellness that she needs. Now, if you know Dr. Tanasia works through lunch and is doing charts and 50 million things because she absolutely is going to leave on time at the end of the day because she has kids at home, then maybe she will take that phone call over lunch from the receptionist. But the whole practice needs to kind of have a sense. If you have a veterinarian who says, I'm going to just help the pets. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it does to my staff. That's where it gets toxic and it gets detrimental. And so it has to be talking through the very nitty gritty things and then taking suggestions of how do we schedule appropriately? What can we do to help us actually enforce these boundaries? Let's not just listen to each other and talk about it. Let's actually hear each other and do something about it. And I think that's what we really need to be doing online when we're having conversations on social media and in our practices to see a change. So you're saying interdepartmental type of conversation mm-hmm. so that then the whole hospital can talk to each other and understand what everybody on the team needs, not in a I'm going to be walking on glass around you type of way, but literally like so you can have a frank conversation with mm-hmm. someone to be like, hey, we do have another patient that needs to be seen. Can you see it? even though you know like maybe that's a yes or a no, but then you put it in their ballpark so that they can answer. So that's the interdepartmental one. But then also you brought in the whole social media (laughs) side, which we talked about earlier, in that we love social media in the sense that it can be super positive, but because of how narrow and small our profession is, sometimes we can put a blowhorn to the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And so us as veterinarians and as I guess you can maybe call us influencers. Uh, uh, nope, scratch that. <laughs> we like to that. network online. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but people are coming to us and like listening to what mm-hmm. we have to say. So we have our own little platform that we can make a big change in the way that these vet students and these early career graduates in what they're hearing from the older generations. Because right now, the younger generations are hearing from the older people that, oh, they don't think we work hard mm-hmm. enough. They don't understand us type of thing. It's like an angsty teen in a way. It is. <laughs> um, and I feel like I can say that because I'm in that generation. So granted, I don't represent everybody. But anywho, but having those actual conversations in that aspect so that like, you and I can go on social media and like start to talk about these things, have the conversations, not that we're going to have super in-depth ones because it is social media, mm-hmm. but then it branches out to these students when they go and look for jobs that they're, they know what kind of questions to ask. They can build those type of relationships within their clinics and maybe be a means for change for the places that they are going to, which would be the most exciting bit because I never want it to just stay here within these conversations. Right. Like we always want to see like, how can we connect that person to that person, which will make a change there and then you see another one over there and it becomes this giant beautiful web of of change I totally agree and I have been amazed and impressed by the younger generation of veterinarians and vet students willingness to share and to be open and to really challenge the status quo I think that has been amazing for veterinary medicine it has been needed and I think they're really going to push the profession in like a more positive direction because of it but there's going to be some really hard growing pains in there and people having to take a hard look at 
their prejudices and how they feel and, and the way they react to people. But I think if we can work through that, in the end, it's going to be good for us. And so I feel taking from what you've just said and kind of rounding out the conversation, because we started out with that whole idea of um, the overarching theme of these young vets don't want to work hard Mm -hmm. and they just want a lot of money. Well, part of that is maybe because of the way that we've talked about money. We haven't given them a good basis to understand what they should be asking Mm -hmm. or how to advocate for themselves. But then on the flip side, like maybe they don't want to work 60 plus hours in the clinic and that's okay but they need to understand the how that balances out in their paycheck as well as what are the things that they're doing outside of the veterinary profession that are fulfilling the rest of those Mm -hmm. the 60 hours so there's a lot of different levels that I feel like we kind of touched on a little bit here and there this is a huge conversation it is and we're trying to do it in like 25 (laughs) minutes I was like pick that bit and that bit and put it right there Um, so I feel like that I definitely want to dive in a little bit more on this and we'll probably do it on social media mm-hmm. um, to keep it going. But I do want to welcome you for coming on to the show today. So I want to give you a couple minutes just to talk about because some people don't know who you are. So tell us like who you are, what you're doing and where we can find you. I feel like it's hard to introduce myself now because my job changed recently. But I am a Dr. Tanisha Crocker, 2009 graduate from Texas a and I love veterinary medicine. And so I have a hybrid job with Veterinary Emergency Group. I work in the ER in Dallas, uh, their Dallas location, a few times a month. But the rest of the time, I now get to travel and do speaking and uh, recruitment and marketing and mentor the younger uh, veterinarians in our practice. And I love it. I love that I have this unique position using kind of all my skill set and my creativity. And then on top of that, I have Dr. Crocker Pet Vet, which is social media brand. And I essentially like to educate and connect with people online. I love to just encourage and support other veterinarians. And then also let the public know a little bit more about who we are and pull the curtain back on veterinary medicine a little bit. So I really feel like I do a lot of different things and You're diversified. it's fun. Yeah. Yes, I'm very di- <laughs> my portfolio is diversified, but I would love it if people want to reach out to me, if they want to connect. I really do feel like, like Mariah, I've known you for years now online and we actually got to meet in person, but the I feel like I know you. first time meeting in person. Yes. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> it's very, very exciting. We'll go dance more after this. So. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Dancing and yeah, this, I think for the first time you actually got me dancing for an Instagram reel. So yes. well done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely I'll have all the information for where people can find you in the show notes, but thank you again for coming on to the show today. And if you guys want to stick around for the bonus content, that'll be coming up shortly. Thanks guys. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.